thank you for joining us and welcome to season two, episode two of the NMAS 7. I'll be your host for this episode. My name is Wendy. Now, the topic is can we discuss of our parents' past? And we believe that this is a very interesting topic, yet a very pertinent one, because we are really trying to figure out whether or not certain experiences from our parents' childhood have actually perpetuated into our lives in terms of whether such experiences have influenced the way that we make certain decisions in terms of uh, our career choices, um, certain preferences, um, especially when it comes to things like relationships. Now, as we dive into uh, this topic, I will pass on to Gabby, who will expound on the scope of this discussion. Thank you, Wendy. So essentially, what we want to discuss is how the scars of our parents' childhood would impact our childhood and as well our adulthood as we grow up. Because essentially, a lot of young people are currently dealing with the impacts of what their parents would have gone through as children and how that basically transformed their own, their own parenting styles. For example, I know that a lot of young people would have been, you know, dealing with emotional, physical, psychological, even verbal abuse from their parents because that is the norm that their own parents grew up with. So our grandparents would probably have passed on that habit of berating our parents and then eventually when it comes down to us our parents would be like oh you're good for nothing and whatever whatever when in reality those things are actually things that our parents never evaluated themselves um when they themselves became parents and had their own children so i'm not sure if any of the other panelists would share the view that you know a lot of parents don't address the the psychological or emotional traumas as well as even you know, the traumas attached with physical abuse that they would have encountered with um, as children, and then eventually they pass it on to their own children. And we see that as a prevalent thing in the Caribbean. So do the, any of the other panelists share that share this view? So the first part of our discussion relates around the idea of whether parents' scars from their childhood trauma, whether it be physical, mental, um, emotional or verbal can be passed on to us as children. And I understand that we are not medical experts or we are not researchers in that particular field, but based on the experiences around us, you know, we can look into giving our opinion as to whether parents' cast from their childhood can actually affect um, whether it be our health or on the decisions that we make. Okay, good night, Wendy and Gabby. Thank you for having us. And um, this discussion is actually, I think, really interesting. So when we think of parents' scars for, from childhood and whether it actually can be passed on to us, I kind of see it like that. Um, most parents live their lives with the genuine intention of having their child's best interest or their children's best interest at heart. But I believe that some are unaware that their childhood traumas can be intergenerational as they can pass on their physical, mental, verbal, and emotional scars to their children. And upon research, psychologist Kathleen Kendall Tackett, in her piece, The Long Shadow of Adult Survivors of Childhood Abuse, she espoused that some families are poisonous for children. And she continues to say that the factors like child abuse, 
chronic depression, mental illness, neglect, or even substance abuse can cast a long shadow on a parent's life, which makes them poorly equipped to parent their own children. And um, it goes on even further in that even parents who were physically abused could become abusive because of their constant anger, or it could simply be as a result of them finally having control, as opposed to someone having control over them. Because if they were physically abused, it's almost like they always had somebody who had control and they were submissive. But now they are the parents, they see that their children are now in their position and they kind of, I guess, revert their energy into what they experience as a child. So these childhood traumas um, are inherited by parents and are passed on to the next generation. And even more so, if I go on to the emotional aspect, I would say that emotional and verbal abuse is one which could linger for a lifetime. So I'm not sure if any one of us have experienced it, but I know that children may experience the use of um, derogatory words by their parents, name calling, you know, like parents calling children stupid or ugly or loser. And they do that because that is what that was done to them. And even going even deeper, I think that some parents struggle to simply say, I love you because it was never said to them. So I believe that when we look at the parents' um, childhood scars, I really do think that it can be passed on. Some really interesting points here raised by Emma, because when you examine Caribbean culture, there's really this love and affection that is exercised between parents and children. And it's questionable, especially in terms of delinquents when they come before the court. One of the things that is questioned when it comes to sentencing is their socialization, how they have been brought up, their background. And it's understandable when there is this lack of love and affection in the home, they look elsewhere for attention. They look, they look to gangs, they look to cliques. And it perpetuates this kind of negativity, this, this sort of violence among certain among some of the young persons in our communities. So it's interesting to hear how the other panelists uh, have to weigh in on this issue. Okay, so hi, um, everyone. Thank you, Wendy and, and Gabby, for having us here tonight. Uh, it's always a pleasure speaking with you all and, you know, discussing various topics. And... As it relates to, you know, childhood traumas, which, which can be a very, you know, touchy subject and so forth, I actually reflected on a, a quote, which I, I remember I heard before from Peter Levine, trauma is a fact of life. It does not, however, have to be a life sentence. And wh why I chose to, bring out that quote it's because within the caribbean why i think childhood traumas are often passed on and passed on and passed on is because we we choose to treat our our experiences before as a life sentence and within the caribbean what i think happens is that we do not have adequate outlets to effectively heal we often within the Caribbean, what, what, what I think happens, because it's just my opinion, is that we, we don't truly get to the roots of the matter. And because sometimes we are so preoccupied with getting out of the situation, becoming grown adults and starting our own life, we don't heal ourselves. 
we don't find ways in which we can truly become post the traumatic situation. And, and we often just share it and it, it continues on and on and on. And it is a sad reality that we often go through. Sometimes we see our friends and families and we don't understand why they are reacting some way. Sometimes we are completely baffled, but more often than not, it's a situation that they might have experienced before uh, and we're just not cognizant of that fact. Chelsea, what you expressed was very inspirational, I must admit. And I just want to reflect back on Amos' point that parents' behavior are usually inadvertent and many times our parents don't even realize what they are casting onto us. But I want to take the different approach. I don't want to, to point fingers and blame parents, you understand? I want us to develop, acknowledge, and essentially just be a different representation of our parents. We should look beyond their humiliation, their shame towards us, and just cast aside their scars. Just, just move away from it. Use more so you can even use those scars to fire up, to fuel your engine. So I believe too many times we focus on, oh, be my, you know, my grandmother used to make my father do this and this and this and this. And that's probably by treating me like that, checking you on me to feel, you know, some parents feel like we should, we should struggle to appreciate our future. But I do not believe that we have to sit down in generational standards. The point of a new generation is to go beyond and to rise above what our parents go through. So their scars, their mental abuse, their verbal abuse, their physical abuse, use it as a as an engine. Press gas, buy gas and just go, just go, just go. Let's just eradicate the thoughts of my parents. That's why I behave like that. That's why my attitude is like that. No, we're not accepting those kind of excuses in our life to come. We be moving up, we're moving beyond and use your bad parents. Matter of fact, tell your parents when they try to abuse you verbally, say thank you. But I'm going to show you what is real verbal abuse and not negatively, negatively, you know. You're showing them, you're binding your success, you're blending your success. You're using, you're blending the verbal, you're blending the physical, the mental, all the traumas, and you're just rising above. And that is just what I would like to add. That was a very progressive, forward-thinking perspective from Delan, and it's interesting to hear how the other panelists would add to this discussion if we sort of twist the question around to look at some of the positives that can be brought down from parents' experiences into children's lives. Thank you for having me on this panel discussion. Uh, I would like to encourage and thank all of our listeners who have been supporting the Unmask 7. We have seen a growth in our audience, and we appreciate every one of you who are listening. I believe that some positive aspects of parents do tend to trickle down on their children. But before I touch on that aspect, um, I would like to go back to the first question in terms of parents' scars and its role it plays on children. I believe that some of these things are hereditary. Um, in cases like mental illness, Many times we see that if there is some form of illness in the family, it usually tends to resurface down the bloodline. Um, even, let's say, for cases of non-communicable diseases such as diabetes and blood pressure. So many times we hear um, when you go to the doctor, they ask you if your mother had high blood pressure 
if your dad had diabetes and so on, and it increased the risk of you having it. So that was on the mental aspect. Um, I think somewhat the physical abuse and emotional abuse tend to trickle down from parents to children as well. If a parent was physically abused, then they tend to do it to their children. The tendency is high. So with that concept, it sort of supports what Emma was saying earlier on as it relates to control, because I know Emma spoke about control and how that because their parents didn't feel like they could control their life at that stage that they in turn want to control their children's life. So that sort of agrees with Amos' point. And also, um, most times we see that, in fact, if a young child sees his father or his mother being physically abused, then he tends to abuse his partner, his future partner. Um, some may argue that this is a case of nature versus nurture. I know that when they spoke about that, Earlier on, she spoke about how sometimes the court system looks to see the background of a minor before giving sentences. So yes, I believe that, you know, there is both the negative aspect and the positive aspect that passes down from the parent to the child. Good night, everyone. And like all my other um, colleagues have said, thank you so much for continuing to embark on the journey with us. Um, I just want to take the opportunity to say that I wholeheartedly agree with Delan. Um, when they would have raised the question of whether positive attributes or positive scars can be passed down intergenerationally. But um, I wouldn't say there's anything such as a positive scar because a scar connotes something that you, had, you would have had to go through some sort of trauma or some sort of, of um, negative experience for you to get the scar. So I think in that sense, when we looking at the topic in terms of whether the scars of our parents can pass down to our children, then I think that I would wholeheartedly agree with the view that Delan took. Sometimes we think of our parents, especially growing up, we think of our parents as superhumans, superheroes, and we forget to internalize that they are humans too. They are full of faults, just like us. And things that we would have never thought they would have gone through, they have been through it. And it's important to realize, okay, yes, you have hurt me or some of the things that you have said to me or some of the actions that you have done really hurt me and we lash out we spend most of our lives hating the person hating the mother hating the father forgetting to just take a step back and say okay but what happened to my mother though or what happened to my father and then i think that once we begin to to think about it in that frame of mind and once we begin to have that mentality towards it then it would be able, the way in which we think about how it has affected us would automatically shift. It would be like a mindset shift because we are not only thinking of, oh my gosh, I'm so hurt by this. She, she hurt me, he hurt me, I hate him. We are now thinking of, okay, mommy, okay, daddy, I see you. I see you fully. I see you not just as somebody who has hurt me, but I see you as somebody 
who has been hurt. And so I understand your pain and I empathize with you. And although I am hurt by what you did, then I think that we can move forward together now that we recognize where your hurt might have emanated from, which is what caused that hurt to be passed on to me. And then I think once we get into that different, because it's, it's, it's a different frame of mind to develop that. You do not understand how much strength it takes for a person to look at somebody who has hurt them and say, I forgive you. I understand where you were coming from. And so I think once that mentality shift and once that growth um, comes about, then although it's a scar, the positive, where the positive part comes in is that scars always teach you lessons. So yes, it comes from trauma, but it always teaches you a lesson. And so the scar, although negative in its inception, would be used as a positive thing in the end. So that's just my contribution. Honestly, you guys have made my feelings with this topic and with how you all responded to that last question. Um, I know that sometimes, you know, it's it's easy to say that, you know, negative, negative um, experiences would create negative impacts. And sometimes that's actually not the case because with parents now, they might feel that, you know, they want to live vicariously through their children so that they can give their children the best possible lives that they themselves didn't have. So they'll go out of their way to plan and aim um, and try their best to provide the absolute best for their children. And then that breeds expectations in their careers and their academic lives and, you know, relationships. I don't want my child with that person. That school is not good enough. You need to be a top class student. You need to have a top class career because these are the opportunities my parents never afforded me. So the question that I want to pose now is, a parents' expectation of us being controlled by their own experiences in expectations of academics, career choices, relationships, and even personal reputations? Gabby, this is such an interesting um, question. It actually really touches home because my parents, I will speak to my own personal experiences. I love acting. I love theater arts. I love creative arts. I would have told my parents on multiple occasions that I am supposed to be in Hollywood. Like I am supposed to be on Broadway. I am supposed to be doing acting. Um, that's my passion. But they would have told me, okay, but your passion not going on pay the bills. When you see you, you go and you go acting school and you can't get a job, you still have bills to pay. So you can't do no acting. You just have to choose the next best thing. So the next best thing was law. And I think that is the case with a lot of Caribbean. I'm not, I'm not sure if it's Caribbean, but I would say specifically Caribbean parents, they have a very close-minded approach to success. They think that success only comes in the form of lawyer, doctor, engineer. You would never really find a, a typical Caribbean parent encouraging their child to pursue music or painting or art. And I think that emanates from history. I think it emanates from our 
um, historical past. The thing is when we were enslaved or when we were the playthings of the white supremacists, when we had reached a certain point during that society or during that time, it was only the upper class who could, who could be in suits, who could be lawyers, um, doctors, engineers. And so that has always been our perception of the profession. You can only be upper class or you can only be successful or make it in society if you are wearing a suit, if you are, if you are um, a doctor or a lawyer. And so I think that has been passed down from generation to generation and it is still very prevalent that we only think doctors and lawyers can be um, successful. And that is why a lot of Caribbean parents still kind of force conventional career paths on their children because they are still stuck in the way of thinking that only suit careers can be successful. And so I would say definitely um, in terms of academic pursuits and their definition of success, parents have definitely kind of um, enforced what they perceive success to be on their children. Now, not all parents though. Some parents are very much with the times and whatnot, but most of them still believe that only doctors, lawyers, and engineers can be successful. Honestly, Aika, I totally agree with what you've been saying. And I can relate to the idea of wanting to do something completely different with your life than what you are currently doing because, you know, your parents have certain expectations and, you know, they, they want certain things from you. Essentially, it's it's very interesting that you brought up the idea of slavery mentality because really and truly when we think about you know contributions to arts and music and theater we find that our ancestors would have been such you know wonderful contributors had they not been so focused on oppression and a lot of the time our parents feel that you know the only way for us to combat our oppression or the oppression of being, you know, in the middle class or struggling to make ends meet or whatever it is, is, you know, when we supersede the expectations of being just an ordinary person, you have to be the best at everything. You have to be an outstanding academic. You have to be outstanding in extracurriculars. And then you have to be, you know, partnered with somebody that elevates that whole concept of, you know, that whole concept of being a wonderful person. So it's like you have to be an overall well-rounded, perfect individual, you know, because it all comes back to that idea that, you know, we have to combat our oppression with creating circumstances for ourselves that, you know, are just amazing. And it's really not fair because it puts a lot of pressure on young people. It puts a lot of pressure on people who just want to live their life, who want to live freely, who want to love freely. And sometimes, you know, a lot of people suppress their true selves and then it eventually, you know, falls back into their own parenting style. And eventually they become, you know, either very strict parents or they become very lackadaisical parents because it's to them, it's like, you know, I, I had such a difficult childhood with such high expectations from my parents. So I'm going to let my children do whatever it is they want. Or my parents didn't care enough. So I'm going to try my best to break my back 
so that my child gets everything they want and they're going to understand what it is to work hard. So I definitely can resonate with what you've been saying. Um, as it pertains to the other panelists, what other feedback do you guys have? Okay, thanks Gabby for um, you know welcoming us to um, answer that question. What I can say um, personally is that, and I might be speaking from maybe my own experiences, is that you have a parent and you know they, they've gone through a lot, they've, they've made a lot of sacrifices and it's not even them trying to push a certain lifestyle on you, but just being knowledgeable of all what they went through. It's like you automatically put that, that burden on yourself. So it's like, oh my gosh, my mother doing X, Y, and Z, my father doing X, Y, and Z. I have to now do above and beyond for me to, to, to feel like they, they accomplished something through me. And I think a lot of overachievers sometimes experience that because I, I don't want to disappoint. I don't want to disappoint my mother. And I remember, you know, in primary school, I remember this situation when I, I did this math exam, this math test, primary school, you know, and I, I came home and tears, I remember walking up on you, tears coming down my eyes, crying. I don't feel or nothing, you know, 80 something I maybe get. And it's like, I reach home, I talking to my auntie and my mother and she's like, what is wrong with you? And I showed them my test paper. And it's like, from that age, you feeling this burden to not get less than, just always be on top. And I think it, it's just knowing also if, if it's not them putting it on you, it's just knowing sometimes they, they've went through a lot. So I, I just want to do above and beyond. So sometimes you live with it without even being forced into that situation. Chelsea made a very interesting point. While I understand that you have the burden, you know, that you have that expectations to meet. I mean, from another angle, I mean, we could look at it from the parents' point of view as well, because all parents want well for their child, especially when it relates to the academic field. For example, if a child is in primary school, certain basic academic um, subjects like, let's say, grammar, spelling, or reading, you as a parent, you would want your child to excel or at least be competent enough to grasp those areas. So, I mean, when it really relates to these type of things in the academic field, I tend to agree with the parents as it relates to, you know, being able to ensure that your child is at least competent to go out in the world to interact with their peers or whatever. And that has to be done from a preschool, primary school, and at a high school level. Not so much at a high school level, because I realize that as a child develops, a child tends to, you know, develop their own interests. So sometimes it's only at the high school stage you realize that a child is not academically inclined to see, and a child may be better, you know, um, doing woodwork better with their hands, you know, this type of things there. So that is why the high schools in turn have to step up their, um, their, their subjects and don't only make it all about academics. 
but I agree with that parents should at least ensure that their children from primary school age are competent enough in, thing, in academic fields such as spelling, grammar, you know, the average person should be able to read. We have to try to eradicate illiteracy within our country. That's my view. You know, Kevin, I agree with that point. I just want to essentially focus on how we should commend and be appreciative of our parents in terms of our academics, because it is just so surprising the lens at which your parents can realize your potential, you know. In primary school, maybe, you know, your little social studies, so on, you're not seeing it as much. Your parents, they monitor you, they see you right common entrance, they monitor your progress throughout high school, and then they can tell you, you know what, that's, I think this is for you, this is for, this is not for you. And I just feel like, Sometimes, yes, they can offer, recommend a career choice first, but it is very important to not lose ourselves in the options they have set for us. If I have to be brutally honest with the audience, I have personally lost my identity in the push of my parents' expectation. I must admit, you know, I was always like there was a standard I had to meet. If I, if I didn't get all my subjects at CXE, what you going to, what you going college to do? If you didn't finish college with honors, why would I send you Kville? You know, why would I make you go and do a law degree? So it's like yes, it's true that they can discover your potential, but I think it is very important that they do not take over potential and tie it in with what they want for you. I'm not saying that I didn't want to study law, but growing up with a mother and a father that are police officers, I can tell you the societal expectations, academic re expectations, relationship expectation, it is a lot. It is not a balanced playing field. And it is just so, so important to not lose your identity within your parents. And that's why I'm so grateful for the opportunity to live and attend campus and be able to find myself, find what I want to do and appreciate it. Now, if we put in career choices up for debate, you know, your parents work within the public service. They know what it's like. They know the pressures, they know the burdens. They want, you know, they're probably not qualified. You would be, you as their child will be the first person to grow up and get a, and get a degree. And it's like, yes, okay, you get a degree. No, this is where I want you to go. This is where the money is. This is where your, your, your path will generate from. This is where I need you to be. So, you know, it's like, yes, they're looking out for the best. They want you to, be overachievers better than them but it's just so important that they limit their wants you know to reflect and to identify with what you you want for your own self and as it regards to relationship guys and parents i don't know i really that is a talk for god and our parents because honestly growing up i used to feel like an arranged marriage would be what they would put at my foot well, look at this. I already control in your school, and this is where I'm going to put you. If your degree match well for econ major, here it is. But I just think that you know, 
instead of basically just conforming, I'm not saying to retaliate, but instead of conforming, diverse. Show them that even with my career choice, even if what I want to study, I can still make you proud. But let me do what I want to do. Let me fulfill, let me create my own identity. And you'll be surprised on my own identity. You'd even be happier and even more and prouder than the identity you wanted me to be masked by. So I just think it's very important to firstly commend our parents for exhibiting our potential, but to limit their recommendations and their offers to not lose ourselves in what they want, sometimes for themselves and not even for us. Thank you so much for that contribution, Delan. Um, the point you made about the arranged marriage and, you know, parents wanting to control almost every aspect or creating such unrealistic expectations to the point where you feel like you're never going to get a chance to express, you know, your own desires and your own dreams for your life. I can definitely understand where you're coming from. And I think that a lot of us as young people, um, Sometimes we, we lose our identities trying to be hustlers, trying to chase our dreams or chase, trying to chase the expectations our parents had for us. But I definitely think that, um, you know, it's good to get our young people talking. It's good to talk amongst ourselves about how it is you know, for us right now with regards to living our lives, with regards to growing up and moving on from whatever traumas or whatever you know expectations that we might fall short with in our own identities and how we're going to grow up um so i know that emma would have wanted to contribute to this point particularly because she is very passionate about this topic in terms of you know finding your own path and finding your own identity shout out to emma's adverts one time we know that Emma is a passionate law student, but she's an even more passionate entrepreneur. So we just want to be up our friend one time. Thank you so much, Gabby. And I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate each and every one of you. And with respect to the topic, whether we see parental expectations as actually, um, I guess, controlling our experiences in academics, relationships and career choices and so if I have to go into academics, I think that it is seen that parents expect their child to follow the more prestigious paths as held by society. So for example, like Ika said, that of medical doctor or lawyer, et cetera. And I think it is because of our parents or parents in general, I think it's because that they grew up in an environment where specific jobs determine their social mobility. So they are currently of the belief that for their children to be accepted into society, they should do the same. And Aika actually um, brought that in quite clear and I'm just re-echoing her point. Going into relationships, right? Um, I see that even with relationships, we see our parents' cars being passed down to us. In the Caribbean, for example, most relationships are male-dominated and women face challenges in finding their identities. So this has created emotional scars for mothers who would like to be someone outside of the relationship. So consequently, mothers promote a restricted vision for their daughters when it comes to serving as a partner or as a wife, for example. And I see that the traditional approach of having defined domestic roles for women puts a lot of pressure on daughters who would simply want to be someone with a less domestic role, right? So we see that, um, 
because maybe that the, the parents think this is what they had to do when it comes to they and let's say their husband or whatever, some parents would feel like they should encourage that type of approach. And um, apart from like the mother and daughter part, we also see a lot of fathers in the Caribbean ignoring their responsibilities as fathers because their fathers did not step up to the plate. So they actually bring in their trauma, their scars, and they pass it on to the innocent children who actually are not yet even fathers. And then it becomes, I guess, intergenerational where it just continues cyclical in that the fathers who did not have a father now no longer wants to be a father in the lives of their children. And as Aika said, all these attitudes are as a direct consequence of our history in the Caribbean. But what I can say, however, is that while we cannot change our history as a people, we can adjust our future. And we cannot continue scarring our children because we've been scarred. For example, um, if I have to look at it, um, we have all got a bruise, or let's say in colloquial term, a guiji or something that reminds us, okay, as a child that we were troublesome, or as a child we did that, we were adventurous or whatever. Even for me, like right next to my knee, I have a scar, which is from a dog bite when I was around seven. And I can remember that, and I can use those scars, not as a way of, I guess, restricting my identity, but as a way of somewhat a thankful reminder that yes, I was a child. And yes, I did things that made me know that this is the stage where you behave like a child, you are adventurous, you are playful, you are troublesome and whatever. But the scar that I do not want or the scar that I don't think any child would want is to have to look into the eyes of your parents and feel that you are hurt because they are hurt or you are depressed because they are depressed or you feel that you have to be that person because they are that person. And like Delan said, we need to shape our own identities. We need to come in to our own beings and we just have to break that cycle. We cannot just say that our history shaped us because one thing about history, while it cannot be changed, it can evolve and we can change. Honestly, Emma, yes, 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 and yes. Um, you see that point you were making earlier with regards to our parents, you know, wanting the ideal type of partner for us. A lot of the time you find that, you know, you, you like somebody sometimes. And a lot of the time as young people being influenced so much by American culture, we see, you know, these effeminate caricatures of males. And we feel like, you know, that's an attractive person, whatever, whatever. But it's only until we get to interact with the men in our lives and in our society that we really understand, you know, the, the machismo that our families and the people around us regard as a norm. And it's very interesting that you, you brought up, you know, the idea of, you know, um, wanting a, an ideal, or parents wanting an ideal partner for us that fits into a societal norm um, as well you know even with regards to just us trying to find our own path or trying to you know 
express ourselves, it's very difficult for them to just give us that leeway. So let's believe they will be very vocal when it comes to our personal lives because they want this kind of person and that kind of person in our lives. They want this kind of success and that kind of success in our lives. And I definitely resonate with the points that you've been making. Um, I know that, you know, we have a final question, so I'm just going to let Wendy ask. Thanks, Gabby. Now, before we wrap up, it would be interesting to hear how the panelists summarize their views on how we can break free from these intergenerational scars. Hi, well, I would have just, I would have said it in my initial comments, but I would just reiterate that it's, it takes a mentality shift. Um, instead of focusing on your hurt, you also have to recognize the hurt of your parents. And I think an open and honest conversation with them, especially as young adults, it needs to be had with your parents about what would have hurt them, how you feel about they projecting their hurt onto you. And as as long or as soon as that open and honest conversation comes about, then I think that will be the initiation of the healing process for both the parent and the child. I think breaking free would just have to be staying true to yourself, not trying to conform, not trying to satisfy, not trying to please your parents. And most importantly, breaking free is enhancing and strengthening your relationship with God. If God is the only person that can cut ties, heal your scars, and help you. I don't see how, I'm not saying other alternatives and avenues do not work like my colleague said by having an open conversation with your parents. But you see, God, that's how I battled with it and refining myself. God, I don't know, he just has a special way of just clearing the roads mopping sweeping everything he just that's just where you find your freedom from your liberty the latitude to be who you can be to to promote to the best of your ability it's just god 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 and nothing else but god okay so we're basically thinking of what kind of parents do or what can we do to break free from this car so even before i i say what we can do um, there's a researcher, Anne Marie Cohn. She said that they found that 91% of parents had at least one adverse childhood experience, while 45% had four or more. And among their children, 72% had already experienced at least one adverse childhood experience. And to me, I find that is already too high. And we need to actually break free. And one of the first things we can do to break free is actually for the parents to recognize and accept that they have been through a childhood trauma. Because there are people who fail to actually acknowledge that, yes, I have gone through something that have basically um, affected or has amended my life and the way that I treat others. And once you have recognized and accepted, the next step for parents to do is that they should be more open about counseling and therapy to allow themselves to, I guess, release the information or what that happened to them about their traumas and to obtain solutions and way forward to mitigate the effect on themselves and their children. Because parents and children cannot do it alone. It's not just about having a conversation with your, your, your mother or your father, because 
while we think that having a conversation, I know that it, it can be fruitful, but there are times when professional help is needed because the experience of parenting your own child will bring back memories or make these past experiences more vivid. So I think that is what we have to do. We need to recognize, we need to accept, and then we need to seek help, whether it be professional help, whether we, we actually take a, a, a step back and maybe not re-experience our trauma, but re-evaluate our trauma, and then we can move forward as parents, as children, as, and as society. I, I just want to, you know, commend Delan and Emma on their two points, and, and I really agree with them fully. As, as it relates to my point, and I think I'm going to be speaking predominantly as to the person who would have experienced the, the trauma and how it is that they should move on from there, whether you're the, you're the parent and you want to move on or you're the child now experiencing it and you want to move on. I think the first step is, is realizing, repeating, and then receiving. And, and I said the three R's in terms of realizing where it is that you want to go from here. Once you have done that introspection and you know where it is that you want to go, tell it to yourself daily. So repeat it daily. And then I would say, receive it. Receive all your blessings. Because I, I, I feel that each and every one of us, we, we tend to focus predominantly on our shortcomings and don't realize how many blessings come to us daily. Just being alive is a blessing. So once you realize, you repeat and you receive God's great blessings on you, then you can move forward. And then secondly, what I can tell you is, is to know when to let it go. If it is that you realize, okay, my, my father is 50, 60 years and he's saying the same thing, he's treating me the same way, X, Y, Z. You cannot continue to let that be a burden on you. I remember here in my mom's, you know, ignore this, ignore that. But I, I never used to realize what, what, when she was saying, ignore what, what did she mean? I think she, even with all the experiences I was going through in school and so forth, knowing when to just keep silence and not let things phase you, I think that in itself is a hidden power that all of us should aspire to have because not everything should be able to affect us so much so that we cannot live the lives that we want. So that's it. Yes, I agree with what Chelsea has said. Um, I think the panelists tonight have done an excellent job. Delan told us to use negativity to fuel your fire in a positive way. Um, Emma made us aware how control affects us and Chelsea with her triple R's. So my solution is on par with everyone else's. I believe that the first thing again is educating the parents and the children. Um, and one way that could be done is through PTA meetings. I mean, that would be the first step and also through counseling. So these are my two steps. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for our next episode. Oh, 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 oh,